Wow, thank you ladies so much. What a tremendous message and song. And aren't you thankful that even in the winter we can be secure? How many of you have been in the winter and you're still green? Yeah, and I'm thankful for that. Thankful for the Lord, his presence and his strength in our life. And take out your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 16. I'm actually going to ask you to turn to two places in your Bible this morning, Genesis chapter 16, and then uh, turn just a few more pages over and find Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 21. We'll be in both of those texts this morning. And last week we began a new series entitled The Questions That God Asks Us. And I don't know about you, I'm really excited as we jump into this series because I think if we're really honest that in life, many of us have a lot of questions for God. How many of you would just raise your hand in a moment of honesty in church and say, you've had at least one question for God in your life? Can I see your hand? So we all have questions for God, but how many of us have ever thought about the fact that the God who made us has some questions for each of us? And so in this series, what we're doing is we're walking through the Old Testament and we're considering, considering seven key questions that God asks uh, to some different people, but I think each question in a lot of ways could be asked of each one of us. And so last week, we considered the question that God asked Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember, what was the question? Somebody asked, tell me, what was the question? Where are you? And and we considered what that means. This morning, we're in Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 21, and we're asking another question. We're going to find a question in this passage that God asked a lady. Now, you say, Pastor Aaron, why in the world would God ask us questions? I mean, doesn't it kind of seem strange that the infinite God, the everlasting God, the God who's fashioned this world and this universe would ask a question. I mean, doesn't it seem a little odd that, 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 that he knows all things? Why in the world is he asking a question? Well, we would all agree this morning that when God asks a question, he's not looking for new information, right? God's not looking for information, but God's asking a question because I think as God asks these questions to these individuals, what he's doing is he's asking them to look within themselves, to consider their own heart, their own motivation. And in a lot of ways, what we've been saying is that the questions that God asks us in Scripture are actually invitations. They're invitations to draw us in and to consider something about ourselves so that maybe we would also see something new about who he is. And that's why in all of these accounts, as God ask questions, in a lot of ways, he is revealing to these people a a characteristic, a, a part of his personhood that they may never have understood, but then they came to embrace it. So this morning, we're in Genesis chapter 16, and we're going to be reading from the life of Hagar. So would you stand with me this morning, and you can look overhead. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, uh, There's the scripture overhead. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to gift you a Bible as you leave this morning. But if you do have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along there in your own Bible as I read. We're going to read Genesis 16 and portions of 21. It's a lengthier passage, but here's my thing. I I don't want to explain to you the story. I want us to read the story. I want us to read the story so we see in full picture of what is happening here. Notice, beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. 
And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I have given my servant to you, to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then notice this next verse. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction, he will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Now I want you to jump over in your Bible to Genesis chapter 21, just a couple pages forward in your Bible. Genesis 21, pick up with me beginning in verse 8. Genesis 21, verse 8, follow along with me. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abram made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian who had born to Abram laughing. She said to Abram, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For though Isaac shall be your offspring, for, for though Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham arose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verse 15, but when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes and she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of this child. And she sat opposite of him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What troubles you? What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, 
Lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with the water and, and gave the boy a drink. And, and God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we pray this morning as we consider this passage, and even more specifically, God, we consider these questions that you have asked, that you would speak into our hearts this morning. Lord, we recognize this morning that you are a supernatural God. Nothing is impossible for you. And Lord, I pray this morning with the needs that are represented in this room, the questions, the, the doubts, the, the loneliness, the fears, the feelings of rejection. Lord, may you surround us with your love. May you show us again your mercy. Lord, we need your help in this time. And so I pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated, all right? Genesis chapter 16. If you're taking notes with me this morning, the title of the message is simply this, what troubles you? What troubles you? I don't know about you. Maybe you came into this room this morning and your life has some troubles. How many of you would just be honest again in church to raise your hand and say, you know, Pastor Aaron, I got a few troubles in my life. Yeah. Just hold it up. Hold. I mean, seriously, come on. Can we hold it up? Hold it up high. Look around the room. Look around the room. Can you do, y'all look at me. Look around the room. Look at all the troubles represented in this room. And God asked Hagar this question, really this third question, what troubles you? You know, we, we've, we've landed right here in Genesis chapter 16. Actually, we're falling right in the middle of a story. It's a, it's a story about a man and his wife. The man, his name is Abram. The wife's name is Sarai. But he's also known as Abraham. And she's also known as Sarah. And, and many of you, as soon as I say those names, you'll instantly recognize those Bible names. Actually, Abraham is a very central figure in the Old Testament. And as we look through the Bible, Abraham comes up in a lot of places, uh, not just within Christianity, but even within three of the largest world religions, they find in a lot of ways their story in Abraham. But as we open our Bible here this morning to Genesis chapter 16, we're actually jumping right into a story. And whenever you jump right into a story, that's pretty dangerous because you don't really know what's happened and transpired to come to that point in the story. But if I could just kind of survey the last 15 chapters of the book of Genesis, many of you remember that in the Garden of Eden, remember when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sin entered into the world, notice that there was just this massive destruction. Things just kind of went from bad to worse. And you read, and as you continue through the story of Genesis, you come across that the world got so wicked. The world became so unjust that God, in an effort, and it seems like to kind of just start over, right? He brought this worldwide catastrophic flood, and the only family that was preserved through that was who? Noah and his family. And, but we make our way, and the more that we read in the Old Testament, the more we see just how much sin has corrupted God's world. I mean, if you read the book of Genesis, it's actually a really just ugh, gut-wrenching thing because you just see like these glimmers of hope of, oh, maybe he's a good guy. Oh, no, he's not a good guy. Maybe he's, no, he's not. And, and, and it's just like one after another, you see the devastation that sin brought. 
And up to this point in the story, I think we can easily say at this point in Genesis 16, like we have seen in just a few chapters through the book of Genesis, how every person has been infected with sin. Sin has corrupted this world. And you this morning, even here today, are a sinner because you did not choose to sin, but you were born that way. The Bible teaches that, that sin has infected our world. And yet God in his providence we come into this point in the story where we come across this old, childless, pagan couple. And we say, we read and we say, well, what is God going to do through them? What, what will God do through them? And if you have your Bible, you can just turn back a couple chapters. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 in your Bible. Genesis 12 verse 2. Notice, notice what God makes. He makes this incredible promise to this couple. He says in Genesis 12, verse 2, Abram, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you, I will curse. And all, and notice, and in you, in you, Abraham, all the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we get to that point in the story and we start saying, hey, The story's about to change. God talked about a rescuer. God talked about one who would come and rescue that ultimately would crush the serpent's head. And we're reading this portion in there and we're like, hey, is it coming through Abram? Is it coming through his descendants? Is it coming through this child? And we find ourselves now in Genesis 16 and just between Genesis 12 and Genesis 16 is a period of 10 years. 10 years had gone by and Abraham and Sarah still have no child. Now, I don't know about you, but 10 years is a long time. I mean, do any of you guys remember where you were 10 years ago? Some of you weren't even born 10 years ago, right? 10 years ago. Come on, think back. Where were you 10 years ago? I wasn't even married to my wife 10 years ago. Right? I mean, there's been so many things that have happened in my life in 10 years. I got married. We moved up to Catawba. We had a kid. We bought a house. Like, I'm pastoring. Like, there's, there's a lot of time that happens in 10 years. And here it's been 10 years since God had made this promise to Abram. And 10 years later, notice what's happening. They're still waiting. They're still in infertility. In a lot of ways, I'm sure if you're in Abraham's shoes, you're really struggling to believe at this point that God was going to come through. And I'm telling you, we read the story in chapter 16 and in chapter 21, and you know what I wrote on the side of my notes this week as I was working through this passage? I just said, this is such a mess. It's a mess. Like, the story of Abraham and Sarai and Hagar is a mess. And I'm telling you, like, I jumped in this week with, like, new glasses of reading. Because although I've read this story many times, and I don't know if I've ever heard it taught, and I think oftentimes when I did hear it taught in Sunday school, the focus on the story was on who? Who? I mean, where's the story going? Like, Abraham and Sarah. I mean, we're, we're looking for the boy. We're trying to figure out what's coming here. And like, certainly that's a part of it. But, but there's a, actually, there's a large narrative of the story that's about Hagar. And a lot of times, I don't think we teach that well in Sunday school, partly because it's hard to explain. <laughs> Neither do your children want us explaining that in Sunday school. You know, so like there's, there's all of those challenges in this story. But when you actually let the information hit you, it's actually quite a mess. 
Because the messiest part in this whole story, and the part that I struggled with this week was what's actually happening with Abraham and Sarah. At this point in the story, they're the one family in all of God's redemptive story at this point that is to be and represent God to the world. God said, Abraham, through you and in you, right, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And God had revealed himself to Abram. He had made himself known. And so when we look, though, at the story of Hagar, what we discover is that for Hagar, all she would have known about God is what she sees and hears and learns from Abram and Sarah, right? Like she's not opening up the Old Testament to learn about God. She, what she knows about God, this foreigner, all she would know is what they showed her, what they had taught her. And in the providence of God, what better place to find yourself in the whole world, right, than in this family in whom God wants to bless the whole world, right? I mean, wouldn't we say, like, that's a, that's a great place to be, but the, but the ironic thing is actually what's so striking in this passage was Hagar's time with Abraham and Sarah was actually anything but a blessing. It was anything but that. Like this one couple who ought to have been a beautiful portrait of God and his love and his mercy and his kindness of wanting to bless the whole world. For her, for her it was a terrible picture of jealousy and envy and cruelty. And here's a couple that is supposed to represent God. And they are so deeply flawed, just like everyone else. And I want you to put yourself in just a few minutes in Hagar's sandals, okay? I want you to put yourself there. Think about who she is. She's a foreigner. She's an Egyptian foreigner. She's a woman. And she's a slave. It's like all three strikes, because in her culture and in her society, like that was the lowest of the low. To be a foreigner, to be a woman, to be a slave. She has no rights. She may have an opinion, but her opinion doesn't matter. She doesn't even have right over her own body. She was given to Abram. She's mistreated. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor Aaron, this story is raising a lot of questions, right? Some of you are like right there this morning, you're like, is the Bible at all? I mean, because there's some big things that are happening in this passage. And you're like, is, is God, is the Bible condoning slavery? Is it condoning polygamy? Is it condoning this abusive treatment? Like, is God saying all of these things are okay? You know, because we're like wrestling with that. Let me just tell you, no. Turn to your neighbor and tell him no. And turn to your other neighbor and tell him no. God is not condoning these things in this passage. But here's the thing. The book of Genesis is historical narrative. It's historical narrative. That's the genre of the passage. And there are things that we will read in the Bible that are descriptive, but they are not prescriptive. You got me? You with me? So although the Bible records some things, everything the Bible records is not morally right. 
if we think about it that way. Everybody tracking with me? Everybody with me so far this morning? So we come to this passage of scripture, and what do we discover? Here's Hagar's situation. She's a foreigner. She's a woman. She's a slave. And then just, you want to mess it up even more. Let's talk about the culture that she's in. Because the cultures that she was in would say this about women, both for Hagar and for Sarai, that as a woman in that culture, they would have found their worth, their value, and their dignity in bearing children. That is how the culture treated it. That is how the culture viewed it. Like you're only as valuable, you're only as good as the children that you bear. And so Sarai's dealing with this stuff. And so what does she now do? What does she do? Someone tell me, what does she do? Sarai's frustrated. She can't get what she wants. So what does she do? She takes it in her own hands, right? She, I mean, she takes it in her own hands. She gives her female slave to Abram as his wife. And guess what happens? What happened? She got a baby. She has a baby. And now, I mean, up to this point, like the whole table's turned right? Because Sarah was looking down at contempt at Hagar, but now Hagar has this baby and Hagar begins to look down at contempt at Sarai and she hates it. Do you see what she says to Abram in chapter 16? Did you see that there? I mean, if you ever want to find an argument in the Bible, this is it. Sarai said to Abram in verse 5, may the wrong done to me be on you. She's casting the blame at what she feels like. And then notice what she says. I gave my servant to you to embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. I told Jessica last night, I said, man, Sarah was a little bit of a piece of work. You know, she was, but, 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 aren't, but aren't we all, you know? Aren't, aren't we all? And she's looking down now with contempt and the situation gets so bad, Abraham's just trying to, he's caught between two wives, right? Now, I've never been there, but I could, I could bet it is bad, right? He, he is stuck, and he was like, notice what he says. Notice what he goes. He's like, uh, he's like, behold, she's your servant in your power. You do what you want. He's like, I'm stepping out of that arena, right? Like He's, he's like, I'm not, not, not going there. But then notice the next verse, and this is where it's so sad. Sarah, Sarai dealt harshly with her, harshly, so harshly that Hagar flees. I mean, this one couple that's supposed to represent God to the world, <laughs> in whom this couple, all the nations of the world will be blessed, and now this foreigner, this Egyptian foreigner, is being driven away because of their words, because of their cruelty, maybe even abuse, we're not told but it was harsh. And while she's on the run, here's the thing. Hagar discovers a couple things about God. Notice with me, follow with me. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in verse 16. Here's what happens. God finds her. Like, she's out running. She thinks that nobody sees, but God find her. Can I just tell you this morning, I don't care where you're at in this room this morning. God knows where you're at. He knows where you're at. And you may be acting like you're fleeing away and hiding and run away, but God knows right where you're at this morning. God found her. Notice what the Bible says. He found her by the spring. I mean, she could run away from her mistress, but man, she can't run away from Almighty God. Aren't you thankful for that? 
How many of you are thankful that God pursues us in the midst of our running away? And notice the questions. Here they are. Here's the questions God asks. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? I love how Glenn Packiam, he puts it this way. He says, when God asks a question, he isn't launching an interrogation. He's staging an intervention. I thought that's good. Because here God is staging this intervention with Hagar. And he asks her those two questions. He says, where are you coming from and where are you going? Can I ask you this morning, aren't we a lot like that in life? Aren't we a lot like that? Have you ever asked those questions of yourself? This morning, I invite you to do that. I invite you to ask the question, where have you come from and where are you going? And a lot of us know the answer to the first question. We don't so know well how to answer the second. All of us can talk about our experiences and the experiences we've come out of, the story that we have, the story we've come from. And, and, and don't we all have a narrative, a way of telling our story? We, we, we tell a story based off of what we've come out of, what we've experienced. And, and I'm sure Hagar could really well tell God what it was like living there, you know? She could describe the story. But then God says, but where are you going? And notice we find in the Bible, the Bible says she was wandering in the wilderness. She, she didn't actually know, she, she didn't know where she was going. She just wanted to get out. Like, that's, that's a painful place. I do not want to be there. And she found herself wandering. And I wonder this morning, am I talking to some wanderers, fellow wanderers in the room this morning? You can really describe where you've come from, but you really have no clue where you're going. And I love God comes to her, God finds her, but notice what else God does. God promises her something. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they, are, so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. I mean, God promises her something. He, he reminds her of something. What does God remind her? He, he reminds her that she's pregnant. <laughs> he tells her. Notice what he says. He says, you'll have a son and you'll call his name Ishmael. The word Ishmael means God hears. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it means God hears. It means God hears. God said something to her that he wants her to remember, and that was that in the middle of her wandering, in the middle of her running, God still had a promise for her, and God reminds her of something. He reminds her that she's going to bear a son. And we say, wait a minute, the name issue means God hears. I haven't read any part in this whole story that Hagar's praying. Actually, I'm pretty sure she probably isn't praying. Like, maybe, maybe not to God. But how did God hear if she wasn't praying? We read the passage, and the Bible talks about how God hears her affliction. God hears her tears. Aren't you thankful for that? Like, in the middle of the wilderness wanderings, where we really don't have any clue where we're going, we're running from what we have been, God can find us there. And he knows how you feel. He hears your tears. And God tells her the one thing <laughs> that she did not want to do. And what was that? To go back. And some of you, you've been on that path. Like you've been in that place and God's come to you. He says, hey, what are you doing here? And where are you going? 
And he's like, hey, you need to go back. And, and, and you're like, no, like, not, not, that's not what I want to do, you know? Like, we've all, we've all been there in life. And notice, what does she do? She, well, she's, she obeys the Lord. She goes back. But what I love, what I think is so amazing of this passage is what we find in verse 13. God is given a name. God doesn't give her his name. She gives God a name. This is the first time in Scripture we find somebody giving God a name. Notice what she says in verse 13. She called on the name of the Lord. He spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. You are a God who sees. That's what she says. You're the God who sees. And I'm telling you, my friend, I'm so thankful we serve a God who sees. Because there's been a lot of moments in my life when I don't know where I'm going but he does. And the situation in your life today might have caught you so off guard. The things that have happened in your life in the last few months might have so rocked your world. You don't understand. You know what you've come from, but you don't know where you're going. But I want to tell you this morning, that's never caught God off guard. Nothing escapes his notice. And I love this passage because here's this lady that wasn't referred to anything else as a slave to Abram and Hagar. And God comes to her, and he, Abram and Sarah, and God comes to her and he calls her by her name. God loves her. God gives her a promise. He gives her a purpose. Someone who's even outside of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And so she does that. She goes back. She gives birth to a son. And then we read the next chapter, the rest of the story, right? But now things, Ishmael at this point, you know, a number of years go by. Now Ishmael's like 14, 15. She's stayed there. She's remained with Abram and Sarah. Sarah has given birth to Isaac. There's a, there's a son. Turn with me now to Genesis 21. I want you to see what caused all of these things. Notice in verse 8. So the child grew. Who child is that? That's Isaac. Isaac grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. She comes to Abraham. Here's where the problems start again. Notice what she says in verse 10. Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And Abraham, once again, you know, he's like, I'm not going to be caught in the middle of this. So he, he was hesitant to do so. I mean, can you imagine at this point? This is Abraham's son. This is Abraham's son. And his wife's telling him to send him away. And notice God comes, and even in that, God has a plan. He reassures Abraham that God has a plan for her. But notice in Genesis chapter 21, Hagar finds herself in the wilderness again, this time is not the result of her own fleeing. This time, it's because why? Because she was sent out. And she sent out into the wilderness. Notice verse 14. Abraham rose early in the morning. He took bread and a skin of water, and he gave it to her. And she departs out of this wilderness. And I mean, and here they go. Her and her son are going out to the wilderness and like this hot, dry, desert place. And notice we read that the water runs out and they're just wandering again. She's wandering with no direction. And notice in verse 16, she sits down opposite of her son. 
She's like, she says, let me not look on the death of the child. You see what she's doing here? She doesn't want to see her son die. I mean, they're that exhausted. They're that tired. And she cries out to God. And God comes. The Bible says he hears the voice of the son, of the boy, and God asks her this question. He says, what troubles you, Hagar? What troubles you? Man, doesn't that spin up a whole bunch of emotions in our heart if God asks us that question? Courtney, what troubles you? Debbie, what troubles you? Steve, what troubles you? And when God asks us that question, right? It's like, we just like start dumping out all these emotions. And, but notice once again, what's so amazing here? Once again, in just a miraculous way, verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. You know, we're not told when the well was dug. Did God dig the well? Was the well there all along? We don't really know. But the whole point of the story is God was telling Hagar again, Hagar, I see. You told me that I am the God who sees. And I want to show you that I see where you're at. And I see what you need. And I am your provider. God's letting Hagar know that he was going to provide for her every need. And can I tell you this, my friend? I don't know where you're at this morning, but two things are true about God. And that is God sees and God hears. And no matter what you think your life looks like today and what a mess it is in, He sees and He hears. And I think I can show us through the New Testament that He cares. What greater way has God cared for us than sending his own son to be our rescuer? You know, the whole story of the Old Testament is couple failure, couple failure, person failure. And then there's one that comes. There's one that is not a failure. One who's blameless. The one that we heard sung about this morning who is righteous. And you and I, as sinful people in a life that is such a mess, can be redeemed and restored and made new and forgiven. And he crushed the serpent's head. But you know what? I wonder where you're at this morning. God comes to you this morning, and how might you answer those three questions? Where are you going? Where did you come from? And what's troubling you? And my prayer for you this morning, friend, is this, that in those questions, you would come to see what Hagar saw and understood in a moment of her need, and that was that God sees and God hears. God sees and God hears. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Father, as we bow our hearts and as we bow our heads, we do so with the awareness that you are the almighty God who sees and who hears. And Lord, I can't sure enter into the mess of every person in this room. 
And a lot of days I feel like I know a glimpse, and even that glimpse is overwhelming. But God, you fully know the mess in our life. And you love us so much that you came to do something about it. You came to give us your son so that we might have life everlasting. You've come to enter into our mess, Lord, so that we might hear you and we might see you. Lord, I pray for each person in this room this morning and wherever they're at. Certainly they've come from something, but what a good thing to know this morning. They don't have to inform you, explain you, convince you, argue to you about what happened. Praise God, you already know. And some of us in this room this morning, God, don't know where we're going. Like we're running from something and we don't know why we're running. Father, I pray this morning you'd give us the subtle peace and the direction that we know that you're the good shepherd that's never left our side. That, Father, that you are, you're calling us on a path to walk and you want us to step out and follow you and Lord, some of us have just been so hesitant in our life to step out and follow. We've heard your voice. We, we see you bidding of what you want us to do, but Lord, we're hesitant in that. I pray this morning, God, you remind us of a promise. Give us the promise that maybe what you gave Hagar, maybe a fresh promise from your word that, Lord, we'll trust you and believe you. And Lord, in the midst of our hearts this morning, when a lot of us are torn up and spun up with things that have happened in our life, Lord, what a great reminder to know that, that, that you know what troubles us. But Lord, help us see truth this morning. And Lord, help us to see a clear path. Lord, help us to see the next step that you want us to each take in our life. So we thank you for how you're going to work and what you're going to do in our hearts this morning. We, we ask it all in your precious name. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Just bow your heads before the Lord. Jessica's going to play. I invite you just to get alone with God this morning. Man, in the midst of your wandering, in the midst of your running this morning, why don't you just get alone with God? Take these minutes as Jessica plays for you just to pray and seek the Lord. And this morning, if you're here and you're not a child of God, today could be the day of salvation for you. You say, Pastor Aaron, I've never experienced the salvation that comes through Jesus. I don't, know, I don't know anything about that, but today I want to know what it means to be a child of God. I'd invite you just to come right down front here. Come find me. Pastor Stephen will be down front here. You can find Stephen. One of us take a Bible and show you this morning what it means to be born again. But in your time of prayer, why don't you ask yourself those three questions? Where have you been? Where are you going? What troubles you?